Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. So when you trusted Christ as Savior, you've been taken out of the slave market of sin. That's true. But now you've also been totally 100% forgiven. And in a sense, because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us, now we are set free. Now the question is, that blood on him was kind of representative of the sin. Now it's taken away. In Psalm 103, it answers the question, okay, how many of my sins were taken away? And how far away were my sins taken? It says that our sins were taken so far away as the east is from the west. Now think with me for a moment, you engineers. How far as the east is from the west? And now you can have debate. How far to go around the world do you go? Do you run this way, but let's keep moving? Is it this way? I don't really care. The idea is it's taken so far away that it'll never come back to you. So in other words, that penalty for what you have done was satisfied by Christ on the cross. You don't have to pay that penalty any longer of death. You have been set free. Your sins are now gone, and you now have a new life in Christ. And I'm going to tell you, what greater blessing is that? Now, pause for a moment. All of that was done by Jesus Christ. None of that was done by you and me. That's a blessing. That's a blessing that we have. And it's a rich blessing. But now the question is, is if it, um, if it was given to me, then what did it cost? Well, obviously in the passage, you know it's talking about blood there, isn't it? We'll talk about that in a moment. But what did it cost? Think about it. You know, for us to be redeemed and forgiven, you just don't get those things free. Somebody had to pay for it. There's no free lunch. And he says, no, you don't have to pay for it, Stan. You don't have to. If you don't let me pay for it, then you will have to. So then he said, I'll tell you who did it. Jesus Christ paid for it. That's the cost of this gift. And I had hoped that we would just for a moment appreciate the cost of this gift. And I speak that to a crowd here that is so theologically adept that you, you know these truths, you can write them all down, you probably can preach this message, but we get so disengaged from emotionally attaching ourselves with a heart to say, I love you, Lord. Look what you did for me. And meditate on the cost. Think about the blood for a moment. I'm going to say some things that might be, um, you listen to everything so you don't get a sound bite. I don't think the liquid blood of Jesus was anything magical or mystical. So I don't want to elevate it to some kind of mystical human juice. All right? I do believe it was efficacious. I do believe that if he was perfect, he lived perfectly. I believe his body was perfect. So I don't think there was like disease in his blood. He didn't have leukemia. So his blood was there. But I don't want to remove the blood from the whole issue of that wonderful blessing. Why can't I remove the blood from it? Well, first of all, Scripture says without the shedding of blood, there's no payment for sin. There's no forgiveness of sin. So blood fits in. If I keep it consistent with Scripture theologically, systematic theology, you have the Old Testament animals that were slain. And when they were slain, blood was. Now, when they were slain, it wasn't like they had a little prick when you kind of put a needle in someone when you're taking some, maybe a, a diabetic uh, test or something. No, here it is. Here it is. They were butchered. Think about it for a moment when they're doing mass sacrifices. How much blood must have poured off the altar, down the little crevice, and into the street. And out. I mean, there was just loads of blood. It was a butcher shop. Now, take that to the New Testament. 
I want you to think, and young people, I, I want you to know I love you. It's going to be a little stingy right now. I apologize, but I need to wake you up with this. And if you do any video games and you watch TV, you'll be all right. Jesus was butchered on the cross. Jesus was butchered on the cross. It was the shedding of that blood. He didn't die of a cold, a heart attack. He didn't fall asleep and not wake up. He died a horrible, butchered life. And so when I think I've been redeemed, I've been redeemed by the what? Blood of the Lamb. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We sing that song and cheerfully and celebrate it. And I, that's great. I want to continue doing that. But I don't want to bypass what it costs God, the death of His only Son. Blood in scriptures are mentioned 400 times. Faith is only mentioned 270 times. I think if I take blood out of the gospel, it's like having a dictionary with words but no definition. It's like having a puzzle but with no solution. So the blood is very important. Whether or not I say the blood in the gospel message is not as critical as much as I don't deny the blood of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. It cost us a great deal. But there's also something else, and that's the appreciation of the character of it. Go back to the passage. I want you to look at verse 7 again. Look at this little section of verse 7. It is so cool. He did all of that, and then it says why he did it. He said, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. Now, I don't know what translation you have. This translation says it pretty good, so I like it. If you have a Bible that you can mark, whether electronically or on your lap, I want you to circle two words in there, the word riches, and I want you to circle the word lavished. Riches and lavish. Now, I want you to know those are nice characteristic words that characterize grace, but I don't want to get away from grace. It's characterizing grace. All right, so let's go back to grace now. So what is grace? Grace is getting something I don't deserve, which is heaven. Mercy is not getting something I deserve, which is hell. So God says, I get heaven. Grace is getting something that I don't deserve, heaven. And mercy is not getting something I do deserve, which is hell. This is talking about grace. It's from the positive perspective of it. But when it says here, according to his grace, it says, according to the riches of his grace. Let me give some of you some fun things to do this afternoon in your quiet time. Find the phrase, riches of his grace, or something very comparable to that, that term, and do a word search on that, and see how much that's found in Scripture, and then read the context, and just let it kind of bathe you on his grace, the riches of his grace. I love that. But the next phrase is a phrase we don't use very much, lavished. Now, in some it says exceeding or whatever, but I like the word lavish. I love that word lavish, even though we don't use it very much. In the Greek, it means to superabound. It means to excel. It means to exceed. So in other words, the riches of His grace, all those riches, not just grace, the riches of His grace is like poured all over us right here. And that's what gave us the redemption, the forgiveness. And by the way, I think this is the heartbeat of all seven of these different uh, uh, blessings of highly elected people. Let me see if I can illustrate this. I don't know if you can see this in the back, and I know you can on, on our media here, but I'm holding up a can of soda here. It doesn't kind it is. It's a soda can here, and it's pretty full, all right? I'm going to just for a moment let this soda and this can represent God's grace for just a moment. We know that God gave us grace, but it's so quick, God gave us grace. It's like me saying to you, um, I'm giving you grace. I'm bringing it to you, or I'm providing it for you. It's available if you want it. I'm providing it. If you want it, come on and get it. Uh, we, we treat grace like that. Yeah, God gives it to us. I'm going to go get it. Yeah. 
That's not what the verse says. The verse says it lavishes. And in the Greek, again, it's not just abound. It's superabound. It exceeds. It's like taking this grace right now, and he really kind of empowers us. Okay, for a moment. And then we receive this grace. Where's Carol? (laughs) And then I pop this lid, okay? And it's like we just get saturated with this soda. We get saturated with God's grace. And so when I look at all of this, it's just like, that's why I don't deserve any of this stuff because his grace was poured upon you. Now, anybody want to open this later, do it at your own risk, okay? Back to this. <clears throat> I'm not trying to make light out of this here, but I want you to know how, how absolutely essential that all these blessings come to us, to people who do not deserve it, and it's the riches of that grace that's lavished upon us. Now, watch a little bit further. It says, in all wisdom and insight. Now, that is cool, too. Because wisdom is kind of like everything that I want to know about God, it's wise. Watch this. It's not just head knowledge. It's that wisdom of the heavenlies. That's that eternal wisdom of God is now brought into my real world that I live today when I drive my car. All right, that's the wisdom of God. I have his riches of his grace is lavished upon me in all wisdom, and that wisdom is found in his word, in the person of Christ. So you have the living word, you have the written word, it's poured upon me. Then it has the word insight there, which I now believe that that insight is saying, now that I have all of this, my insight is, how do I take all that grace that's lavished on me in wisdom and make it work in my family? How do I make that work on my job? How do I make that work in the church? How do I make that work when I'm alone on a hospital bed? You see, people go into Ephesians and they think, oh, it's so hard to understand. It's way out there and I really don't get it. And why do they teach all this deep stuff? I'm going to tell you, you can't have the practical until you have the potential eternal. And that's where the wisdom and the insight of His grace is lavished upon us. That's number three. Let's go to number four. Blessing number four. It just keeps getting louder. It's like having a, it's like on your car uh, phone and, and you're, you're turning up the volume. Every time you click it, it goes higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. You know, that volume just keeps coming. The fourth one is God has shown me the mystery of his will, the mystery of his will. Let me read to you nine and 10. It says, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, another way of saying grace maybe, which he purposed in him. In other words, there was a purpose for him doing this. With the view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. In other words, by a wise God, there was reason behind all of this that would all fit together. And that is the putting together, the summing up of all things where? In Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. And then we kind of link into that in him. So in your margin of your notes, you might want to write this definition. What is a Bible mystery? You ready? I'm not going to be real heavy, but a Bible mystery. A Bible mystery is a truth that was concealed that in its proper time is now revealed. It's a truth that was concealed, but in its proper time it is now revealed. So it's not like a brand new truth that God thought of. It's a truth that God was all a part of the eternality, but also in progressive revelation, in the meaning of time, and I'll talk about that in just a second, all of that, he now begins to reveal it. 
And so the mystery of his will basically is becoming less and less of a mystery because now he's speaking about this. Now I'm just going to read you some verses, so just listen to the verses now. I'll give you the addresses, you can study them later. Romans 11.25 says this, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. What does that tell me? Stan, you better wake up, smell the coffee. He wants me to know this mystery. A mystery is not something that I don't know about. It's so weird, I cannot ever figure it out. No, he says, now I want you to know this. That means something's coming down to me. Ephesians 3.6, we'll get into this on another Sunday. The mystery, here it is, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. In other words, the Gentiles now can have the same blessings because they've come to faith alone in Christ. So Gentiles outside, non-Jews we're going to say, non-Jews can experience God of the Jews' blessings. That's beautiful. That's a mystery. And then Romans chapter 16, 25 and 26, a little longer passage. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, watch this, kept secret since the world began, but now has been made clear, made known, made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for the obedience of faith. What does that say, gobbledygook? It's not gobbledygook. It's basically saying this, that in God's mind he knew that while the message was first given to the Jews, it would be extended to the Gentiles. And when the Holy Spirit was given, he would now take the Jews who trust Christ as their Messiah and the Gentiles who trust Christ as their Savior, Messiah and Savior being one, they now start out to be, they then become the third entity, which is the church. All that was in the mind of God. It was a mystery then. It started to become revealed. Now it is just thrown out as the truth. And now we're getting this mystery that's revealed to us. And what this does is it tells me that I'm not left out. I'm a part of something that is really important to God. And I love that. So let me answer some questions that are out in front of you there, all right? Why will God do this? Why will God reveal this mystery to us? What is this mystery? Why is God going to bring everybody together? Very simple, because he wants to make known his kindness. That's so cool. That's his, we want peace in the earth. He wants to make known his kindness. I know what I'm about to say is going to go on social media, and it's going to date me in this message, and I, I understand that. <clears throat> I did something that I never, I, I would never in a million trillion years think I would have done yesterday. I watched the wedding. <laughs> what are you laughing for? <laughs> How many of you watched the wedding? All right, okay, all right. And of course, to me, the most important part, what do you think would have been? That African American pastor that was up there preaching about love and trying to bring the races together. And you've already heard my message, grace for every race. If you haven't, order the message. But back to this. I want you to know that's the mystery. That that means if you feel like you're on the outside of a particular race or group, you can become part of the group. When you trust Christ as Savior, the mystery is as God is taking this group, this group, bringing them together, and created another group. You don't stop being a Jew. You're not a completed Jew. You're just a blood-bought, born-again believer in Christ. Jew. And so we all become one. I have to tell you, to me that's grace that God would let them do that. How will he do it? Always remember in the passage, it is purposed in Christ. I will never know everything I want to know about God, and I'm okay to not know everything about God, because if I knew everything about God, then what will happen is I will become God. All right? And so there's a part about God that I don't know. 
But watch this now. But everything about God that he wants me to know can be known when I have the Holy Spirit within me and the Word of God before me, and I use proper hermeneutics and Bible study methods to dig it out. So the truth can be known of what he wants me to know. And this mystery is not such a mystery we can't know it because it is purposed by God. It's lavished upon us. It's his intent, his kind intentions to give it to us. When will God do this? All right, now watch very carefully what I'm about to say. Now, this is why I wish I'd have like a month on each one of these uh, 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 blessings, but I don't. When the, church, when the Holy Spirit came and the church came into being, Jew and Gentile became one in the church. We're going to study a lot about that later on in Ephesians, but I want you to, that came together then. That was the coming together then. But there's also a future culmination of all of that in the age to come, in the future age. It's a real age. It's not an esoteric age. It's a real age when all of this is going to come together, when the whole earth comes together of all those people that are believers in Christ. Those only who will be left out will be those who have not trusted Christ the Savior. Now let me say it another way. Those who will be left out are the ones who are left out now because they've chosen to be left out. Now, he's choosing to bring you into the family if you would trust Christ as your Savior. That's the key. So again, when it's going to happen, it's happening now, positionally, and it's going to happen fully, practically, in the kingdom age. Number four, what is God going to do? Now, here's the phrase in the passage, the summing up of all things in Christ. Another way to put it would be the gathering together in one all things in Christ. So it's God putting it all together. Now, if you will, kind of look up here because I want to talk about history. History is really a point of time. Now, what is time? Time is nothing more than an island in the sea, in the ocean of God's eternity, okay? Time is an island in the sea of God's eternity. That part is called history. I am not taking away from the eternality of God that he was way before history, and nor am I taking away from the eternality of God when there is eternity future, because he's all future. But right now in Scripture, there is a time block in Scripture. So he's doing this in history. Now to define history, I'll give that to you right now. Here's the definition of history, real simple. It is his story in time. It is his story in time. In time. His meaning God's Christ story in time. That's what it's all about. So I want you to know that we become a part of God's eternal blessing. While those who do not trust Christ as Savior, who are not a part of God's forever family or the elect, we might say, they will be a part of this too, but they're going to spend eternity dying in a Christless hell. Now, yes, it's like a wandering star. Yes, there'll be all that horrible stuff. But technically, my personal opinion, I think I can back it up with Scripture, is this. I think the worst part about anybody being in hell for eternity is being separated from Jesus Christ and His glory for all eternity. But for the rest of us, that's a blessing. We are in Christ, He's part of this eternity, and we're going to continue on with Christ forever and ever 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 and ever. It goes on and on and on. Blessing number five. Blessing five, <clears throat> I am chosen for and as an in inheritance. Now let me read the verse to you, verse 11 and 12, kind of bring them together. It says, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. We who were the first to hope, another way to say that, to trust in Christ. 
Let's just stop there for a moment. A couple of weeks ago, when we were covering the first two blessings, if you'll recall, I used my Bible to represent Christ. Then I took a piece of paper, and I took that piece of paper, and I dropped it in my Bible, and I said, that piece of paper is us when we trust Christ. We are now in Christ. We mentioned to you in the King James Version, in uh, chapter 1, verse 6, it says we're accepted into the Beloved One. All right? And I like that phrase. We are now in Christ. I want you to think about us being in Christ and how precious that is. Now watch carefully. In John, it talks about that which God gave Christ would be those who know Christ as their Savior. So if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are like a wrapped up gift from God to His Son for what He's done for us on the cross. In a sense, Christ, everything God owns, Christ owns. And since I have trusted Christ, I am in Christ, I am in God, God is in me, all of that together. So now I am the inheritance that Christ gets. I am part of God's inheritance to the Son. So that's why it's kind of like a, uh, it's hard, it's like a tension of two truths, okay? And so I am that inheritance. I am that special to God. But in this context, I believe we now receive an inheritance from the Lord. How precious that must be. Let me tell you a humorous story, if you don't mind. A number of years ago, I had a uh, I had an aunt. Her name is Mildred. Now, in the Pons family, we all have weird names. My first name is Stanley. My middle name is Rudolph. All right. My other uncle's named Clarence. I mean, that's as far as I want to go. But we just we were not given Rocky and all those nice names. You know, we're given these kind of names. Mildred died. She had no children, so she gave her inheritance to my brother, to my sister, and to me. My sister and brother knew her better because they lived closer together. We were always doing ministry somewhere, so we really didn't have a lot of time with family. Well, my brother then, um, he writes me this letter about a month later, and he says, I want you to know um, what I did with the inheritance that I got. And so he sends me this pic- many pictures of him leaning on a canary yellow Mustang albeit it was used, but a really sharp... He's leaning on it. He's sitting in it. He's looking in the hood. He's smiling. He's pointing at it. You know, this is his inheritance. He says, look what Millie left me. In fact, I'm so excited, I named my car Millie for Mildred. Well, when I got that, you can imagine, I was a little, oh, man, what do I have to show for it? What we did with the money is that uh, we paid some bills, then we gave the rest to the Lord's work. That's just kind of how we operated. We didn't need a fancy car or anything like that. And then they sent me another picture. And I thought, I'm tired of seeing this picture of this car. Didn't know any more about it. I don't know if this is from the Lord or Satan or what. You figure it out. About two weeks later, I happened to be somewhere with Carol. And this guy pulls up in a Lamborghini. And he gets out, walks away from it. So I said, Carol, get your phone out. I said, (laughs) I said, I need you to take a picture. So I, I, I didn't want to touch, I wanted to touch this car. I wanted to climb in this car. Frankly, I wanted to drive the car, but I thought if I, this thing's probably so, if I touch it, it would, it would uh, the police would arrive, something. So I just got as close as I could and I went, <laughs> Carol took a picture. And then what I did is I sent it to my brother and I put it at the bottom of it, Aunt Mildred loved me more. <laughs> And you know my brother comes here to town two or three times, and he's much older than I am. But I, why am I telling you that, that funny story? 
there are some of you that probably know that uh, there are inheritance that you got less or you got more, that inheritance kind of go all over the map with different amounts. I get that. That's life. In fact, in Scripture, it said to give more to the oldest son in the Old Testament. And there are reasons for that. But bottom line, spiritual inheritance is this. Look up here real quick. You've got to own this. Everybody's inheritance with God is the same. That's grace. I put a little chart there in your notes. Would you look at it for just a moment? Because I wanted to show you the difference between an inheritance and a reward. It's all found for those people who have accepted Christ as their Savior. Inheritance, it's based on Jesus' merit, what He did. Reward, that's based on our service. Inheritance is freely given by God's grace. A reward is given in proportion to our work. And inheritance is the condition is being a son or a daughter. And the condition is being a laborer. When you get reward, you get paid for that because you're an employee or something. Inheritance, salvation is based on the birthright. You're born again into God's family. You're His child. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.